in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And uh, it is good to have our guest here with us tonight. And um, it's good to have Ebony Cannon. And she brought somebody with her. Good to have her here tonight. And uh, they are from the church in Marianne. And I told her that I'm not going to tell Brother Biggs that they're up here tonight. <laughs> and so we kind of had a little packed about that, but uh, we're glad that they are here. And it's also good to have Alex uh, here with us tonight. I'm glad to have him. And uh, it's been a number of years since we've seen him, uh, but we are glad that he's here. And uh, and I'm certainly glad that, that you're here. We've got a good crowd here tonight, good crowd here this morning. And uh, we passed out a gift uh, for our, each of our families, if you did not get one of those this morning, we do have some of those that we want to pass on to you tonight before you leave. Romans chapter 8 and beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And I want to preach to you tonight on this thought about the removal of condemnation. The removal of condemnation. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here tonight. Lord Jesus Christ, your presence, Lord, is here in this sanctuary. Lord, we need your presence. We need your mind. We need your anointing. We need your word. We need you, Lord, to operate in our lives, God, as never before. And yet I also know, Lord, that when those things do take place, that, Lord, there is a commitment, God, that we give. And I pray, Lord, tonight we don't know what the, what the new year holds. I pray, Lord, tonight that if ever we took our relationship, Lord, with you seriously, I pray, Jesus, that that would be, Lord, in this moment, that you would begin to stir things in our spirits and help us, God, to be able to reach our world. And Lord, we believe this dispensation is rapidly coming to a close. And I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you help us as a church Lord, to work while it's still day because night is coming, Lord, when no man can work. I pray, Jesus, tonight that on all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. The removal of condemnation. And um, I... Uh, <clears throat> reading last week in the book of Ephesians, and it was more of just some devotional reading than it really was 
being involved in perhaps sermon prep or Bible study, I was just reading the book of, of Ephesians again. And while I was reading that, got to chapter 2 and began to realize what the Lord has done for us and what our position is in the kingdom of God. And then as I began to move on into chapter 4 and chapter 5 and then into chapter 6 where that Paul concludes with the spiritual war that every believer is in, I started asking the Lord, how is it that we are going to be able to withstand the evil day? And it, it is indeed the work of the Spirit. And so with that, my mind was drawn to Romans chapter 8. Some of the greatest of biblical scholars have looked at Romans 8 and they say that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the book of Romans. And then there are others that have even gone on to say that Romans chapter 8 is the most powerful chapter in the Word of God. It emphasizes to us the matter of salvation and it talks about what the work of the Spirit looks like in the life of every saint of God. In fact, whenever you look to uh, the book of Romans, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit or simply the Spirit is mentioned 26 times in the Roman epistle. And yet when you look to Romans chapter 8, 19 of those 26 times are found in that single chapter there. Romans chapter 8 is the chapter that proves to us that, that we can live a life of holiness despite the challenges that we read about in the previous chapter in Romans chapter 7. Whenever you start looking in Romans chapter 7, Paul is, is making a description. He's talking about a man that, that really is battling, some would say it's a picture of a carnal or a worldly saint. Others say that it is a picture of, of Paul in a state prior to his conversion. And, and I know that, that most everybody is, is, uh, is given to a certain opinion, but I, I look at that and I read chapter verse 24 where that Paul says it like this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And here is the way that I look at Romans chapter 7. I look at a man that is battling. He is a child of God. He is a saint of God. And yet uh, there is a challenge that he finds in his life because he realizes that there is nothing good in his flesh. And the reason I come to that is because I have worked with people just as you have in the past, that you have been associated with people that were not converted. And, and you rarely heard them being uh, fearful or upset for their actions. In fact, people you work with or go to school with, it was almost like that they were arrogantly boastful of their conquest that they had experienced on the weekend. And Paul comes along and, and he says, I want to tell you something. I realize that this wretched man that I am, as long as I have a fleshly body, there is an understanding that there are things that are in the flesh that is going to cause you to try 
uh, by temptation that, that will cause you to try to stray in the direction of the world. And so Paul comes along and he starts in Romans 7 and 1 and talks about the domination of the law. In verse 5, he talks about the matter of sin that brings forth a fruit that that fruit leads to death and then in verse 11 he tells us about the deception that sin has and then in verse 14 he talks about the matter of a spiritual bondage that takes place in the life of a person that is under that matter of sin and then in verse 17 he comes along and he begins to speak about the matter of what some would call indwelling sin and then in verse 18 he said that there's an inability to do good. Now what is he talking about there? He's talking about that at the end of the day that your flesh cannot do good on its own because you say that I'm just going to be a moral person. There, there there's an inclination to say that I'm going to do good, but if you do not have the Holy Ghost, then there is going to be a failure that comes to that person's life. And then in verse 21, despite the law, evil is present with me. Verse 22, there is the goodness of an inward law that takes place. And then verse 23, a war that is there in the mind and the captivity of the sin. And then verse 25, he talks about how that the law of God is greater than the law of sin. And yet when we look at... Uh, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter 8, there is a very clear understanding that we can be slaves to sin and the only way that there is going to be a relief from that is for us, as Paul says, to become slaves of righteousness. And yet when you look at Romans chapter 8, it starts talking to us about the power of a spiritual man, a man that uh, has been born by the Spirit. And, and yet as we look at this particular scripture here uh, tonight, we, we can understand. Look with me there to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Here is what Paul expresses in that first verse there. He talks about the message. He said, there is no condemnation. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. There, there is therefore one astute Bible scholar said it like this. He said that when you see a therefore in the Bible you need to look and see what it's there for. And so we look at Romans 8 and we say, what, why, what, what is it, what's he there for, what's he talking about? He's, he's looking back there at, at Romans chapter 7 and maybe that is an oversimplification, but I dare say that all of us here tonight in this sanctuary, that there's probably been times in your life whenever you felt the pressure and you felt the matter of condemnation that came in to your life, condemnation can work in our lives in a variety of ways. One of the ways that it works in our lives is by men 
that condemn us. They, they condemn saints of God. You work with people like that. You uh, perhaps have family members like that, that they want to hold your feet to the fire at such an incredible level, and they live their lives in a way, but whenever you slip or you stumble, there's condemnation that they begin to bring up and to throw into your direction. They attack you. They say that, that you're a hypocrite and that, that you are, are mistaken in your relationship with God. And there can be a very malicious wording that they begin to use to throw in your direction. And what happens with that matter? You begin to feel the depression that sometimes comes with that condemnation that, that is there. And uh, you start looking about those people, the proud, how that they would trouble those people that are in the kingdom of God. In fact, James chapter five and verse six describes it in this way. He said, there, there are men that will take away the lives of the saints that they condemn. And, and the Bible says it like this, you have condemned and you have killed the just. That is what takes place even in nations tonight where that there is Christian persecution that's taking place, that there are people that they condemn them because of the justness or the righteousness of their lives. And so we can be troubled and condemned sometimes by other people. But there's, there's another way that sometimes we can find condemnation and that is by our own conscience. And sometimes that internal voice of the conscience, it can be perhaps even more critical than, than all of the judges that comes against us. And, and uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 21 talks about the matter about, it says that your heart, if your heart condemns you, what does it do? It moves you away from God. How does that condemnation work? You come into a service like we have experienced here here tonight, and I'll tell you, while they were singing, I, it just felt peaceful in here. I don't know how it felt to y'all, but I, I don't want to stand up and shout and raise my, I don't want to sit there in the chair with my eyes closed and, and hit repeat and say, y'all just keep singing on because I feel the peace of the Holy Ghost. And you can begin to feel that in the house of the Lord, and yet your conscience can begin to bring up something that happened in your past and begin to say, you don't deserve the peace of God. You don't deserve the blessings of the Lord and your conscience sometimes can be that matter. In fact, there is no pain of body that is quite like the torment of a condemning conscience. Now there's a designation that you need to make in difference and that is between condemnation and between conviction. In fact, there can be times where your conscience comes along and says that because you grew up in this kind of home or because you were involved in that particular relationship that you have no business lifting your hands and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and yet Paul tells us, he said, I wanna tell you something, that condemnation can be removed if there is a work of the Spirit that comes into your heart and into your life. 
And I would tell you here tonight that there's times where that even uh, as children there are things that happens to us and there are matters that we begin to find that, that, that are there and yet what is the work of the Spirit trying to do is trying to remove all of that almost as you would say to erase the hard drive and to pull that malicious mindware or software out of your mind and say you know what you're a child of God and your condemning conscience sometimes is working to destroy you. I believe that the word of God has a great impact. The spirit of God has a great impact on our mental health. I really believe that there's times where that the spirit of God comes in and, and can begin to intervene in and it can heal our minds and heal our spirits by removing the condemnation that we might find there on the inside. The third person that, that was sometimes condemns us is literally the devil himself. Now, I don't know that, that any of us have ever seen the devil or that the devil has ever been around us because you've got to understand the devil's not omnipresent. And I got a feeling that the devil's more concerned with a whole lot more people than what he's concerned with me, but he does send that buck private in that just about drives me insane sometimes. And so you know about those little buck privates that he has, and here's what happens to them. They, they're proud, and they love to sit on the judgment bench. In fact, what was it about Job that the Bible says about him that, that, Job, that Satan came, and he was an accuser of the brethren and so there's people that will accuse you. Your conscience will accuse you and that the devil, he will come along and his pride is putting him in a place to judge and what does he do? He tries to crush and to kill the children of God that are susceptible to his voice. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there's times where that sobriety and, and vigilance can come into your life and it can remove that voice of conscience condemnation that is there. But Paul, here's what he does. He puts a, a word in there that changes things. He says that, I want to tell you, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit because of the cross there is no condemnation that can come into our lives because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ there is no condemnation because of the work of the spirit in our lives there is no condemnation because of an unfavorable verdict that sin tried to bring into our life. It's now gone. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. The penalty of our sins has been removed and so now no condemnation. Everything in the past that we have been washed whiter as they were singing just a few minutes ago, you're washed, you're cleansed. There is something about your life that you have been redeemed and so now there is no condemnation 
condemnation in your life. Because of the spotless Son of God, there is no sin and no condemnation that can be present in our lives. And yet the scriptures tells it like this, that in Adam that we were condemned because of and the sin nature, Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death, it passed upon all men for all that have sinned. John chapter three and verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he that hath not believed in the name of the son of the only begotten uh, or the only only begotten Son of God. You see what John's writing? He said that man that believes on him, he is not condemned. Now John 3, there's already that part where that Jesus, still speaking to Nicodemus, said that those that are born of water and of spirit, and Jesus was talking about a time where that the Holy Ghost would come into our lives, but because of that, because of the new birth, then we're not condemned. That's hard for us to get, that's hard for us to grasp sometimes. Because we are human beings and there's a memory that we have and we remember those things that somebody did to us. We remember those things that were against us and, and yet the Bible tells us that that condemnation can be gone. Psalm 51 and 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, again speaking to the sin nature because of the fall of Adam, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And yet, that's not the conclusion of the matter. That's not the rest of the matter. The Lord didn't just leave us there in our sin. And so it's the grace of God that begins to move against that condemnation that brings some freedom to our lives and brings salvation to us. Isaiah 53 and 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying that because of Jesus Christ, that sin, that iniquity that you had in your life, that it was on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I could erase it out of your mind, but you think about the sin. You think about the, the, the ignorant things that we got involved in prior to our uh, conversion, and yet Isaiah comes along and he says, listen to me. He said, the Lord has laid the iniquity of every sin that you ever committed. It is on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been removed out of your life. What sin are you talking about? I don't remember it anymore. Micah chapter seven and verse 19, he will turn again. 
He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and that will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103 and 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43 and 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out your transgressions for mine own sake and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance and let us plead together. Declare, declare thou that you may be justified. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul. You delivered it from the pit of corruption and for you have cast all my sins behind your back. That scripture right there in verse 17 of Isaiah 38, what's he talking about? He said that when God puts it behind his back, that it's totally removed and it is totally forgotten. And that is whenever condemnation is removed out of our life. Condemnation is a punishment. It's a penalty. It's the weight of guilt. And yet we come along and begin to realize that that product of judgment, that what's Paul saying? Paul is reminding us. He's saying, I want you to know this, that every bit of that has been removed out of your life. So again, I want to prompt you perhaps to rehearse in your mind maybe where you come from. And whenever you start, the enemy starts trying to bring that up in your mind and in your spirit. You ought to talk about it like this. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. The Lord doesn't remember anything that I've done in my life. It's all put in the past and the Lord has forgotten that sin. But but Lord, what about 1987? I don't remember it. What about 1992, 1995? What about 2003? What about 2011? What about 2015? And what is Paul saying? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Jesus who walk not after the flesh but they walk after the spirit I like the way the New Living Translation renders that. It says that there is no condemnation to those that belong to Christ Jesus. You realize that manner there that you belong to God? Paul told it to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That means that hands up, prayers up, songs up, everything that you do, you know that you have been bought with a price and you don't belong to yourself. So therefore, there is there now. Therefore, now, no condemnation because I belong to the Lord. I'm his property. And so if I'm his property, if I belong to him, and if I will not walk after my flesh, but after the spirit, this is one of the most encouraging verses in the word of God for us to realize that you can camp out on this. Now I know that there's times where that that Pentecostals have a tendency to... uh, that they have a tendency to want to try to, uh, they get nervous about scriptures like that. I remember a number of years ago, a message that Brother Arnold preached to Because of the Times, and he he, uh, talked to me about some of that 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 took place, that he had uh, 
13 camp meetings, and, and you know, because of the times is always in uh, January, used to be in January, or used to be in February. He had 13 camp meetings lined up, and he preached a message one year about the grace of God, and there were 10 camp meetings that got counseled because he preached about the grace of God. That right there tells me that there's times that people get nervous about the grace of God. You know why? You know why we get nervous about the grace of God? Because we understand that even in our own human human inclination that whenever we start trying to extend grace it is faulty because if it is not moved by the spirit then what it does is it opens to us up a vulnerability but what in the world would happen to my life and would happen to your life if we begin to extend the grace of God not only to ourselves but we extend it to others the way that the Lord has extended it to our lives it would erase a lot of of relationship problems, whether they're in your marriage, whether they're in your family, whether they're in a church family, or whether they're in some of your friends. If you would extend the grace and the mercy of God to other people, it would wipe out some of that condemnation that is a weight in your life. And trust me, condemnation can be a weight that can weigh a thousand, it can weigh two tons, it can weigh five Times. It can weight you down in such a way so that there is no joy in your life. And you say, well, what about what they've done? Leave it in the hands of the Lord and let the Lord deal with it. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. But God is the righteous judge. And what I need to do is to capitalize in that and say, thank God that he filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I've got to turn loose and let God of those things that is causing me to be crippled in my relationship with God. I'll just kind of throw this out here at you. What caused me to start thinking about this is I was just, I was Mark, I got a new Bible and I don't need a new Bible but I'm like an alcoholic that they say that needs another drink. I get around a Bible and I think I need another Bible. It's not. It's dangerous for me to go to Ollie's and start looking around at the Bibles in there because I, even though I've got one just like it, uh, or maybe not just like it, the cover might be different. Uh, the wording, the words in there might be laid out a little different. I got things like I've got to have me another Bible. That went over like a lead balloon. But anyway. I had, a, I had a Bible, a note taker's Bible, and I started marking it up. And I started, and I'm gonna just, you, you can do this with the book of Ephesians. Just look at that little pronoun, or a little preposition rather, in. And you start looking through all of the places of the, just use that word in. And start underlining that, because what that does is tells you about your position in the kingdom of God. And I was underlining all of the times where it talks about in Christ. And there ought to be something about it. There should never be a doubt in our mind about the concern that God has for me or for you as a child of God whenever you start looking about looking at the riches that you find in the book of Ephesians. And so that was the introduction and I've got 18 minutes left so I got to hurry. So in verse 2 and 3 of Romans 8, look back with me there. 
Now, here's what Paul starts expressing. He starts saying, I want to tell you, I want you to, I want you to notice something, that, that there is a, a way for a saint of God uh, to come into a place of no condemnation. And, and now he starts saying, I, I want to show you how that took place. What, what's the means of it? How did you get to a place where that you don't have to contend with uh, the condemnation. Look at verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so Paul is, is saying, he said, I'm, I want you to know this. There, there's a way for you to live in a place of, of no condemnation. And how does it work? It comes about because of a work of the Spirit and the power of Calvary. Um, I was looking at some of my old sermon notes whenever I was preaching 20 years ago, and I was embarrassed because I started looking at all those sermon notes and I used to tell all these cool, nifty little stories and these cool little illustrations. And I thought, I know some people like those cool and nifty little illustrations, but I've just gotten into my point of my, my relationship with God where all those little stories, they don't matter. Telling about old MacDonald having a farm and E-I-E-I-O and on that farm he had a duck and it was a quack, quack here and a... I used to tell stories like that while I was preaching, but I'm now at the place where that, that I want to know what does the Word of God have to say? So forgive me if you feel like I'm plowing deep and I'm not making sense. I want you to come with me to where I'm going so you don't need all those little cool stories because at the end of the day when we get to eternity, those neat little illustrations that I used to think with that good chicken soup for the soul stuff, it didn't make a hill of beans. What matters? is is the word of the Lord. And so the scriptures tells us that there is a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And what does that do? It, it frees us from the law of sin and death. That, that's not speaking about the law as really the mosaic law that you find in the Old Testament. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that you're free from the principle of sin and death. Because every one of us here tonight, whether we wanted to know or admit it or not, we were under the weight of our sin and we were under the matter of the death of a spiritual man, that there was gonna be a separation from God. That was the principle there. And Paul is saying, you're no longer bound by a regulation that means you're gonna have to face the penalty of the wrath of God. Do you realize that? Do you realize that the wrath of God is coming to this world. It's going to deal with every bit of the political corruption. It's going to deal with every bit of the injustice that we find in the world and there's a tendency sometimes for us to look out there and we think, oh my, there's so much worse than what we are, but there are times where in your own heart and spirit that you can care, you can hold things to your spirit, hidden sins, private sins, 
guys that are going to compromise you just like they're going to compromise the most wicked of any politician or world ruler. And what we have to know is this, is that the wrath of God is coming to this world. But Paul said, wait a minute. I want you to understand one thing, that because of the spirit of life, the Holy Ghost in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and he died for my sin. Oh yes, he did. His blood covers my sin. His blood covers your sin. You have hope. You have preservation from the wrath of God that's gonna take place in this world. He's saying now, he said, and because of that, you're living under a higher law. It's the work of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter eight and verse two in the New Living Translation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And you wanna say, well, what about that gossiping that I have a tendency sometimes to get caught up in? What about this critical attitude that I sometimes can get caught up in? What about, in, in Ephesians 4 where it says let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. There's times whenever that, that there is a bad, I don't, I don't want to say you're cussing. Lord, forgive us from that. Got Pentecostals in this generation now to feel like it's okay to drop a little cuss word here every once in a while. I'm telling you now, that's sinful. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But when you start looking at that, do you realize that gossip and slander and all of these things, tail-bearing, backbiting, kids, you talking back to your parents and being, hello, kids, do you hear me tonight? That you're mouthing off back to your mother or you're mouthing off back to your daddy or sometimes that can even get into a marriage. A husband start mouthing off at his wife or his wife start mouthing back off at, at, at the husband. I, I know that none of that happens in this church because this is a perfect church. But, but here, we have to realize that there's times where that there is the sin that can get in to our heart and into our spirit. But listen to me what Paul said. He said, there is a life-giving spirit that has freed you from the power of sin. So what do we do? We fall on the on the at the foot of the cross and we say, Lord, I want you to wash me clean. And then we get up in victory again and we begin to move forward. Here's what I want to tell the church here tonight. If you've fallen down in your sin, you've got to get back up on your feet and get back to where you used to be. You've got to crank up your prayer life. You've got to crank up your devotion to the word of the Lord. You've got to get back in here in this church and get in neck deep. Why? Because there is a power of the Spirit that wants to move us in a direction of apostolic power by a work of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because I am bought with a price. I don't belong to myself. I belong to the Lord. Here's some other references that can show me this principle as well. Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 11. 
Here's what the scripture has to say. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if it dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead is also going to quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to our flesh to live after our flesh. Romans chapter 8 and verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians chapter five and verse one, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Put that stuff behind you and say I've gotta move forward. I am hopeful that 2021 is gonna be much better better than what it was for 2020. I'm going to say, Lord, we got to get 2020 behind us and we've got to move forward into what God's vision is in for our church, for my life personally and for your life personally. We can't be caught up in the bondage and the yoke of bondage that has been in our life, whether it was last year or 10 years ago. There's got to be a part where you move forward. John MacArthur said it like this in his Romans commentary. He said the freedom that Christ gives to us is complete and permanent deliverance from sin's power and penalty. He gives us the ability to to obey God and there is what I want you to catch on to. The very notion of a Christian who is free to do as he pleases is self-contradictory. A person that believes that salvation leads from law to license does not have the least understanding of the gospel of grace and can make no claim on the Savior Jesus Christ and certainly cannot claim him as Lord of his life. (coughs) Did you catch what I read to you there? That if we realize the power and the strength and the grace of God, what does grace look like? Grace looks like a savior that died for you. Grace looks like a resurrection that he came out of that grave. What does grace look like? Grace looks like in Acts chapter two, a band of people, 120, that were gathered up in that place and the spirit of God was poured out on on, on them and they all began to receive the Holy Ghost there. I believe that there ought to be apostolics in this generation today to say, you know what? Because I've got the Holy Ghost, I don't want to get back into sin. I don't want to be entangled with all of that. Not only do I want him to be a savior in my life, but I want him to be be the Lord of my life and whatever bridle that you have to put on your tongue, whatever bridle that you have to put on your spirit, whatever bridle you have to put on your appetite, if you can ever see what the Lord has done for you as a child of God. I'm gonna tell you what it'll do. It'll elevate your worship. It'll elevate your lifestyle. You'll say, you know what? I don't wanna fall back into that ignorance. I don't wanna fall back into what the what I came out of. I want the Lord to work in my life. And to do that, I've gotta walk in the spirit. 
And so we begin to see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit is working actively in our life to help us to live a life over sin. What what does that look like? Well, in verse six, it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That means that my mind needs to be set on the things of the spirit. And then verses nine through 11, we have been given a spiritual life by the Holy Ghost. I was working on this message here just a a few, and I pray this happens to you at some point in your own time of private Bible study. I was working on some of this and just started thinking about what the Lord has done for me and how that the Lord, that the price of Calvary uh, has has been uh, has has moved into my life and I'm telling you I was sitting there at that at that table working and I was just crying and I know if somebody would have come in there they thought oh my goodness this guy he is messed up in his head he he needs some kind of mental health or something that he's reading a book that's fifteen hundred years, 2,000 years old and he's reading this stuff in this Bible and he's crying about it. I want to tell you something that if you're going to be a spiritual person, this world is not going to understand what your drives are. They're not going to understand what is pushing you to get into that place. But listen to me, church, if there ever can be a time in your private devotion and I pray that it happens to you that you begin to open up the word of the Lord and it's like heaven descends down into the kitchen or into a bedroom or into a private study and that's whenever you start realizing this thing is powerful it can help me to overcome sin, it can help me to realize that I'm on my way to heaven and there is something again that I belong to God Oh, I belong to God. And so tied up in these verses here that talks about no condemnation, we see the work of the cross. What does that look like? The Lord came to die for sinners. The Lord came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's what Paul says. He says, I want you to notice something. Look there in verse three. He says, for what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What, what, what's he talking about? He's saying that, look, that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but his flesh was not sinful. Hebrews chapter four and verse 14, seeing then, We have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we were yet. He was out without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the help in time of need. What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, men have a problem with anger. Let's say that again to get maybe get an amen out of at least at least nod at me. Men have problems with anger and wrath. That's right, Alex. We do. We have a problem with that. First Timothy two. 
And yet, here's what it looks like. Can you imagine? Think with me for a moment. What does that look like? So, Lord Jesus Christ, he's walking to Calvary. He's on his way up Golgotha. They're spitting on him. Those soldiers are cussing at him. They've jammed a crown of thorns down on his head. And yet the Bible tells us that he didn't utter a word. I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> There's times where that you feel like that, Lord, if I'd have been in your shoes, I'd have called angels down. I'd have zapped them with a bolt of lightning right in their forehead. But what was Jesus doing? He was saying that there is a way to channel your anger. There's a way that you can begin to realize that instead of you you reacting in that way that, that you say, Lord, I know that there's things in me that I want to react to it in the wrong way. And, and yet what Paul said, he said, listen to me, he came in the likeness. He didn't have a sinful flesh, but he came into a likeness. So whenever you get into a situation that you're full of anger or that you're full of lust, or that you're full of, of all kinds of things in your life and you begin to feel those urges in the flesh, what do you do? You look to what, what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in every point, he dealt with anger, he dealt with lust, he dealt with jealousy, he dealt with envy, he dealt with every human emotion that you have in your life and so whenever you begin to call out to the Lord what does he tell us he's saying let you let's come boldly to the throne of grace so that Lord I can find mercy I've got issues in my heart and in my spirit and you've got to help me with it that's what brother Chad was preaching to us about last Sunday night that we have these things in our spirits and we think oh my Lord I'm about to slip off of the path oh no you're not there is a throne of grace that's waiting on you. There is condemnation that can be totally erased from your life and from your spirit, but you've got to capitalize. You've got to say, I want to walk in the spirit. I want to walk in holiness. The Lord came as a sacrifice, and because he came as a sacrifice, I have hope. I've got hope. I've got hope because he came as a sacrifice. Let me slow down a bit. I'm preaching for 45 minutes, I think. Let me throw a theological term at you. It's called substitutionary atonement. Say, why, why does that matter? It matters to us because it's one of the most important doctrines in Scripture. What does substitutionary atonement mean? It means that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin on behalf of every person in this world that repents and turns away from that sin. Think about what he's done. That we deserve to go to a cross. We deserve to be executed. But the Lord said in that garden, he said, if this cup, I don't want to drink this cup. And yet here's what it is. Not my will, but thine be done. And the Lord died in my place. He died for my sin. He's covered me with his blood. He's washed away every bit of that. And so how can I not let go 
of unforgiveness. How can I be filled with jealousy, malice, and anger, and wrath? How, how can I be filled even with the works of the flesh? Paul talked about in Galatians 5, the means of no condemnation was provided, and Paul says it here in Romans 8, 2 and 3. He said it's because of the Spirit and because of the cross. But then the last part is in verse 4. He said that, in the, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. The first four verses of Romans 8 make a provision for, for no condemnation. And here's what he does. In verse 1, he tells us about the message of no condemnation. In verses 2 and 3, he talks about the means, how it took place. And then the last thing that I'll point out to you in verse 4, and I'm almost done, so don't get nervous, is like this, is knowing that there are some manners of no condemnation. And so what does that look like? It's a walk in holiness. Because here's what verse 4 says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. I'm going to throw another term at you. It's a theological term as well. It's called imputed righteousness. What does imputed righteousness mean? Remember from years ago, whenever we were quizzing through, I think it may have been uh, Brother Shane Ulrey, my brother, Mark, and a uh, few other young men in our church that were Bible quizzers whenever they were going through the book of Romans 35 plus years ago. And that was my first exposure to this word called imputed righteousness. What does imputed righteousness mean? Imputed righteousness means that whenever you are filled with the Spirit, that the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ has been imputed to your life. And you say, what does that mean? It means that you have been credited with a righteousness you, you have had righteousness that has been added to your life. It's not your righteousness, but it's the righteousness of the Son of God. It's His righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's not me paying my tithes. It's not me obeying the rules. It's not me doing any of that. It is knowing this that whenever I stand in the presence of God, that he does not see Philip Harrelson, but he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Imputed righteousness is a gift of God. It takes place immediately at my conversion. Now here's what, what causes us to stumble sometimes at it, is it is a progressive matter. That, that means that there's spiritual maturity that takes place in our lives. That's why we need a variety of spiritual maturity in this room. We need little children, as John said in 1 John chapter 2, and I think starts in verse 12 and goes down through verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, little children. He says, young men. And he says, fathers. We need to have that variety of spiritual maturity here in a church. And I want to 
to tell you something tonight. If there's candy wrappers, and uh, especially over here on this side, and, uh, and there's all kinds of crumbs and carrying zones over there, just ignore it. Okay? Crank up the Roomba and let the Roomba get over. Sister Patty, God bless you. Oh, Lord bless Sister Patty. I didn't know what a Roomba was, and she said, y'all need to think about getting a Roomba in here. I was at a restaurant, and they turned that thing on, and, and we just watched it vacuum up all this stuff. So here's what we do sometimes. Well, we'll do it a lot, a lot of times when y'all are not here. We turn the Roomba on, and it works on this side, and it works in the middle, and then it works over here on this side. What does the Roomba do? It vacuums up all the crumbs of all the immature children that we've got over there, okay? We got the section of over here, we got a section here, we got a section here. We don't have a section over here, but that's y'all's fault. So y'all need to have some children or grandchildren over here on this side so we can have some crumbs, all right? But I just want to tell you something. If there starts to be some crumbs by Brother Adam's seat and by Brother Mullen's seat and by Brother Pierce's seat, we need to have a conversation. But as long as it's around a bunch of kids, then what we need to do is we need to let it go because there's immaturity that's involved in that and sometimes imputed righteousness looks like that that there are immature converts that they make mistakes but what do we do we pick them up we brush them off and we say come on my brother come on my sister you're better than that and there is a righteousness of Christ that can be on the inside of you because it's not your righteousness it's not your behavior it is the power of God that is working on the inside of you. Here's what happens with imputed righteousness. It starts on the inside of my heart and it begins to be expressed outward. If you started on the outside and try to work inward, trust me, it's never gonna work. But if you get the Holy Ghost and the power and the anointing and the spirit gets on the inside of you, I wanna tell you what it'll do. It'll form your identity and you'll walk around with your head up and you'll say there is therefore now no condemnation there's not a devil that can take away your salvation there's nothing in your life that can somehow pull away what the spirit of God has done in your heart and in your life that ought to get every one of us here tonight on our feet and say thank God for the blood Oh, thank God for the blood. Y'all come on up, corral. I want us to sing that song that Sister Wendy was singing. I'm gonna conclude with this, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. You can stand. Fall of peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The ESV says it like this, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The Amplified Version says it like this, strive to live in peace with everybody and pursue that consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. The New Living Translation says it like this, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord if you do not. We're called to live this thing out. So how in the world 
this condemnation going to be removed from my life. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. That's the way that the Lord takes condemnation out of our lives. Tell you what I want us to do. While they're singing, you know what? I just wish every person in this sanctuary that you would step out from where you're at and that you would come around this altar and you just lift your hands to the Lord, especially when they start singing about being washed whiter than snow, washed in the blood. Made me.